The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Good morning, Story City. My name is Molly Sandrich, and my family and I have been going to Story City for about a year. And today, my dad is going to be preaching, and so I got the opportunity to read to you guys. I'll be reading in English and my language, Rotoro. So, will you please stand? <laughs> Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in the... In, Stay alert in with the thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Now I'll be reading in Rotoro. Moyongera Muksava, Mutaruk Garukira, Mutaruk Hungira, Kandam Simer Hanga, Nato Mutsavere, Nikur Hanga Asavole, Kutkingura Omhanda, Ogokrangira, Amakuru Amarungi, Noxima and Sita Yakristo, Eyankwasize, Omunkomo, Nukuan Savole, Kugisavora Kurungi, and Koku Samerie. Avantu abaheru, mbakwatege na mazuma, mutarukusisa akasumi akamwaina. Obtosa evgambo vyanyu, vivenge virungi, vinurege avandi, nkevirungiruemu eksura, nuko msavole, kumanya ekmusamerire, kugarukamu vuliyomu. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Story City. All right. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Molly, for that. That was very special um, to, for, to, to witness you uh, serve the Lord like that. Thank you, Samir, for the introduction and uh, also for calling me a young man. That was even nicer. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Stephen Sandridge, and I am overjoyed and privileged to get to share God's word with you today. And I also just want to thank Samir and Jared, too, in the residency program for working with all us residents. And guys, um, I think I've seen you all here at one point or another this morning. Thank you for all that you shared this month. Uh, it's been a real blessing to me. And um, it's been a blessing to partner with you, too, to uh, help me be better in Christ, uh, who I am. So thank you for all of that. And just having the opportunity to be here today um, is, is special for me, not only just because I get this chance, but... This Sunday is a very special uh, anniversary in the Sandridge household. Uh, this week, last year, just a year ago, uh, my wife and I, along with our four children, three dogs, Beta Fish, Chadwick May, rest in peace. And he lived for over a year, though, so that was really phenomenal, and across the country. Um, and our partridge in a pear tree, we packed our things and moved from Wake Forest, North Carolina, to here in the valley. Um, You've already met my oldest, Molly, as she shared her scripture this morning. She and our other three children, Jude, Rosemary, and Solomon, they were all born in Uganda, and through some remarkable stories that God has told, they came into our lives and helped us form this family at different times over the past nine years. 
Uh, so we, the Sandridges, are thankful as a family to have found Story City and get to be a part of it, uh, particularly the family that we have forged and made in our Granada Hills location. Um, so thank you. I see you all here too. So thank you so much for being, for being here and um, getting to look at your faces. So uh, the thing about relocating all the way across the country, um, it, it's hard. Um, but we, <laughs> uh, when we left a lot of family and friends on the East Coast. So I said we came from North Carolina, which is true because that's where uh, I had attended seminary. But uh, Allison, my wife, and I are mainly from the state of Georgia. And um, I, I love Georgia. I, I do. It's great. Um, but I love California now, too. It's, uh, and, I, and I miss our family. But um, the thing about having to come, coming you know, all the way to the other side of the country is that, you know, you leave those people behind to an extent and, um, you know, we, we have to find ways to keep in contact with them, right, pretty regularly. So, um, for instance, you know, I know it's becoming more and more of a rare thing these days to, to use your phone to actually talk to somebody with your voice, um, but, we, but we still do that, uh, particularly with my mom. And um, whenever I end a conversation uh, on the phone with my mom, I usually make it a point to tell my mom that I love her. Um, and I was actually just there with her a few days ago. Um, I had been in Georgia for the past couple of weeks because uh, we learned that she had been admitted to the hospital. Um, and every day that I left the hospital, the last thing that I told her when I went to go back to, to our old house uh, was uh, that I loved her. Um, even the last thing I told her before I flew back to come home. And uh, so saying I love you as parting words is an intentional choice on my part. Um, why, why is that? A couple of reasons I do this is because I want my parting words to be something of great value. And I want my parting words to be something worth remembering to the people who hear them. So this morning, uh, we're bringing our series on Colossians to a close, and we're going to look at Paul's parting words to the church in Colossae. Today, I invite you to join me in looking together in Scripture and see what Paul considers to be a great value and what he wanted his readers and us to walk away remembering. Let's open in prayer. Lord, I thank you for another day that you've given us. Um, New mercy for today, hope for tomorrow, and the way that you meet every single need we have. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you did it, that you're enough, that you meet every need that we have. Lord, I pray that the message that you want your children to hear is left on their hearts today, that I don't get in the way, and that your message is received loud and clear to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, this month we've, been, we've seen some treasured and gifted brothers in Christ remind us of many important things in the book of Colossians, whether it be the importance of having a heart of thanksgiving to God, uh, understanding our own identity in Christ by understanding, uh, our understanding Christ himself, and the reward of new life in Christ being greater than what the world has to offer. So now that Paul has given us all these pearls of wisdom and truth, what does that mean for the church? And what, is that, and what does the church, who has Christ as its center, do with that? Let's find out, shall we? Um, so we're in Colossians chapter 4 this morning. That's the last chapter of the book. And I'll be starting off by going through verses 2 through 4, where Paul gives this instruction. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. 
that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. And if, in his first set of final instructions to the Colossians, Paul notes, and this is our first observation for today, that a church with Christ at the center is devoted to prayer. A devotion to prayer indicates here that it's not something that the church engage in merely on a sporadic basis, but it's a part of their DNA, something that is observed and applied on a deeper level. For instance, um, movies are one of my biggest hobbies. Um, you will hear more about that later. Um, teaser trailer, if you will. Um, and get to know me for a little while, and you'll find out that I am devoted to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, um, sorry, I didn't, didn't think about the fact that the stickers were there when I made this choice, but uh, it, it works. So um, anyway, that means for me that I don't just show up for the big Avenger movies. Um, I have seen them all uh, m- multiple times. And I even watch the Disney Plus shows and even like the little digital shorts that are in the bonus features. Um, Obviously, you wait till the end to watch the end credit scenes and stuff. Um, I may have also shown up to work uh, on more than one occasion dressed as Captain America. Um, It was a theme day, though. I just need you to know. And sometimes Fourth of July. You know, it it works. Um, And if any of you need to share your emotions with someone about the new Black Panther trailer, meet me after the service. We'll we'll cry together. Um, Everything's going to be all right. Okay, so the point being, um, devotion requires discipline, requires attention, requires practice. So to be devoted to prayer, we have to make time for it. You need to establish consistency and give it the attention it deserves. But if I may encourage you, church, in this observation... May I remind you, whenever you're trying to devote yourself to a new discipline, it's okay if you're bad at it in the beginning. Don't let your lack of mastery of a spiritual discipline discourage you from pursuing it at all. Amazing things can happen when you devote yourself to prayer. We, actually, we see other examples of that in Scripture itself, uh, especially early on in the book of Acts, which is you know, the, ste- the, the telling of the, of the birth and growing of the, of the early church. Um, after Jesus ascends into heaven, the remaining apostles, um, the women, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, and some of his brothers, they're all together in a room, and they're they're devoting themselves to prayer, is what the uh, passage says, when their next steps to be taken get revealed to them. Uh, Not long after that in Acts, once the Holy Spirit shows up, uh, the body of believers that make up the beginnings of the early church as we know it display a devotion to prayer as one of the trademarks of their identity that contributes to this monumental growth within them. They're studying the apostles' teaching. They're breaking bread together. Big fan of that one. Um, It's helpful, by the way. It's how you get to know each other. Uh, They're fellowshipping together, and they're devoted in prayer. They're sharing life together, literally and spiritually, and the church grows. Amazing things can happen when a church with Christ as its center is devoted to prayer. But it's not simply blind devotion to prayer that Paul gives us. He also helps us out because he gives us two examples of what traits should characterize our prayers. Like a good detective, detective, you need to consider motive and opportunity, right? So verse 2 reminds us to have an attitude of thanksgiving. We're to be motivated by a heart of gratitude for God, for who he is and what he has done for us. Uh, In his devotional Truth for Life, Alistair Begg says this of a thankful heart. He says, this kind of gratitude has significant effects. It turns our gaze to God and away from ourselves and our circumstances. It defends us against the devil's whisper 
which incites us to despair and distrust what God has said. It also protects us from pride, eradicating from our vocabulary phrases like, I deserve more than this, or I don't deserve this. And it allows us to rest in the knowledge that God works out his loving purpose, not only in pleasant and encouraging experiences, but also in unsettling and painful ones. Church, a thankful heart that is devoted to prayer can help you find contentment in all circumstances. Next, we look at the opportunity that Paul asks for here. He prays that God would open up doors for him to continue to share the mystery of Christ. Let's be reminded here that Paul's in prison. Uh, He's in prison for doing the very thing that he's asking the church to pray for him to get more opportunities to do. Um, So Paul doesn't say, pray that God opens up the prison doors and gives me my freedom. Christ is central to Paul. And despite what it costs him, that is his first motivation. To continue to honor God by preaching the good news to those that would hear it. Paul doesn't dismiss the pain and difficulty that he faces, though. Even at the the end of this chapter, um, as he's signing off in the letter, in verse 18, he says, remember my imprisonment. Paul acknowledges his suffering, and he even asks the church to acknowledge it too. But he still sees Christ as better. There's a valuable lesson in that. Our current hardships and sufferings are real. And we would do well to recognize that with with one another. And as we come alongside each other, the greater truth here is that Christ is better. Christ is enough. No matter the length or circumstances of our sufferings. Because he is at the center of all things. Now, Next observation today is that a church with Christ at the center is seasoned in grace. In verses five and six, Paul writes, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Your speech must always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Earlier, Paul gives a prayer request to the Colossian church. Uh, that more opportunities would come for him to share the gospel with unbelievers. He now instructs the church on how to do the same. The church is told to exercise wisdom and to make the most of the opportunity, or another way of putting it that I love is redeeming the time. Um, Our time and opportunities to share Christ are never promised in relation to how much time we have or how many opportunities with the same person that we'll receive. Now, that doesn't mean that every action you ever have with someone who isn't an apprentice of Jesus has to end with some kind of ultimatum. You know, what do I have to do today to get you? you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that kind of thing, um, forcing a choice in the moment. Instead, it is of utmost importance that by holding Christ at the center of who we are, that we follow the examples given to us back in chapter 3 and allow Christ to shape our identities and dictate how we approach those around us to those who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. If Paul, like he says in chapter three, if we're doing all that we do as a means of service to God and not to man, if we're putting on hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, then we are making the most of each opportunity because we're making Christ at the center of these opportunities that we're taking. And yes, sometimes it absolutely can look like an interaction with someone coming to faith in Christ right then and there. Or 
God could be intentionally using you on that day in that moment to continue to draw someone that much nearer to himself. But it is an absolute must that grace be the identifying trait of the manner in which we approach those who are outside our body of believers. The work of God using his church to restore his creation back to relationship with him is not a debate that needs to be won. It's not a hammer, excuse me, it's not a nail that needs to be hammered, nor is it a hammer either. Um, um, And it's also not a cause that is to be, be completed with picket signs and legislation. The first definition of grace that I was ever given was also the simplest one, but it stuck with me for my whole life. Um, Grace is being given what I didn't deserve. Approaching someone in grace can often be easier said than done, I readily admit. Um, We have to battle our own selfish nature at times, and at times we have to rise above someone else's selfish nature when we're doing that. Um, But in trying to remember to let God's grace shape my approach to others, Uh, I'm encouraged by the words of an old family friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber. He wrote a book called Living Grace, and he says this of showing grace to others. Never allow people and the careless way they may treat you stop you from letting Christ live through you. Try to take each situation one at a time and just say yes to Christ in the middle of it. In that moment, he will manifest himself through you. And because of his power, expressed through your submitted soul, people will no longer see you as much as they see him. It's a beautiful thing, even if it's not an easy thing. Let me say that again. It's a beautiful thing, even if it's not an easy thing. That might be the simplest description of what it's like to apprentice Jesus, to be honest, (laughs) that I can give you. It's a beautiful thing, even if it's not an easy thing. The Colossians here, they were dealing with a lot of stuff. They were dealing with combative philosophies, uh, new, you know, new ideas and beliefs that sought to threaten the teaching that the early church uh, and the early Christians were trying to establish. So it certainly stands to reason that any attempts to clarify those things and stand for truth in order to keep the teaching within the church blameless, uh, that could be met with some pushback and with some conflict. So Paul reminds his brothers and sisters in Christ to respond with grace. And to do that, both then and now, we uh, can look back to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4.29. Paul talks about what it's like giving grace to others. And he says, um, and how to do that, he says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Giving grace to others with our words often looks like not just saying something true or something accurate, but saying the right thing at the right time, along with the right motivations for doing so. Um, A few months ago, I was uh, taking my son uh, to a championship track meet. Um, Now, if you know me well, you know I brag on my kids all the time, but I want to tell you that I'm saying championship for a reason, Um, and it's not just because they're awesome, but... um, Championship track meets tend to have a higher population than your you know, regular uh, weekly, weekly meet. So uh, there were a lot more people in attendance than usual at this meet. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a track meet, but uh, there are like tents set up everywhere, chairs all over the place, kids running around everywhere, both literally and figuratively because, you know, it's a track meet. Um, but anyway, uh, my son and I are walking to our spot where we're going to sit down. And um, I've got uh, 
a cooler in one hand, uh, a drink in the other hand, and a uh, stadium seat like strapped to my back. And um, he's many steps ahead of me because, well, he's young and, and I'm not. And um, so we're, we're heading along to our seats and then just all of a sudden just wham. Um, I find probably the only hole in <laughs> all of the grass and um, immediately face plant onto the pavement. And um, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, so uh, I don't get up as fast as I used to. You know, it's just an all around embarrassing moment, right? So uh, as soon as I get up, my son, who had been several steps ahead of me, um, he's already back there w- with me. And uh, I'm, I'm getting up and, uh, you know, I'm expecting to hear, you know, your average run of the mill. Hey, dad, are you okay? You know, do you need any help or anything? Um, what I met with instead is, um, hey, dad, uh, didn't you fall like that before at another track meet? <laughs> See, here's the thing. Um, what he said was true, um, but it was not necessarily what was going to edify me in the moment. Um, it did not build me up, um, and I did not receive grace from that interaction. Um, he wasn't wrong. Um, he said nothing incorrect, but just being right isn't the most important thing in our relationships with others. It's time to repeat myself again. Let's make sure we hear this one. Just being right is not the most important thing in our relationships with others. So when we engage with, as this translation reads, outsiders or for those who are not believers in Jesus, simply simply telling them something true isn't as important as how that very truth is being presented. Hence, the need for grace. And looking back, let's remember here that Paul is building this instruction of being gracious and making the most of our opportunities just as he has shared that he's wanting prayers for more opportunities to share the gospel. He knows and is sharing with the church that the most fruitful opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ are done so by a gracious approach. With Christ at the center of who we are as a church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, every apprentice of Jesus can be enabled to display that grace to others when the time comes. And that leads me to our third observation today. A church with Christ at the center has a place for you. If I can be transparent with you all for a moment, got a little nervous when I learned that this was going to be my passage when we were divvying them up, you know, with the residents. Um, I took one look at it and I was like, oh, great. I get the passage with all the hard to read names. Um, my daughter speaks, you know, two languages and I'm going to struggle with one. So this is going to be a thing. Um, but to be honest with you, um, the more time I've spent in this chapter, the more I've fallen in love with it. Um, because of what all these names, places, and instructions imply about the church itself. If you'll bear with me for a minute, um, I am from the South, so uh, these names are going to be fun. So let's just, let's just get through this together, and uh, we'll be back uh, here in a minute. So uh, let's remain, visit the remainder of this passage in verse 7. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your own. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
and also Jesus who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your own, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, always striving earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and Demas does also. Greet the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that's coming from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to the ministry which you have received in the Lord so that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Last week, we were reminded in uh, chapter 3, verse 11, that there's no distinction in what separates us with, within the church because Christ is all and is in all. And if that wasn't enough, a closer look into who Paul mentions at the end of this letter fleshes that out in greater detail. That whole list of names that I was you know, making punchlines about here a second ago, this list contains Jew and Gentile, men and women, poor and wealthy, runaway slaves and doctors, native Colossians, and transplants from other regions. Your history doesn't determine if you belong. Your age doesn't determine if you belong. Your gender doesn't determine if you belong. Your economic status doesn't determine if you belong. Your employment doesn't determine if you belong. Christ alone determines that you belong to his church. And he has already determined that by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And if by grace through faith you're saved by Jesus, take a second, look around you. You belong to a beautiful, grace-filled family. In his book, The Storm-Tossed Family, Russell Moore shares this. He says, we naturally have a drive to belong. In the church, we belong to one another as brothers and sisters with a common future. Even, the use, even using the language of brother and sister can seem overly metaphorical to us like brother in a fraternity or prayer warrior in Christian parlance. This metaphor rocked the ancient church, though, as people discovered just what it meant to share a storyline in the past and an inheritance in the future. They knew that brothers and sisters have obligations to one another that they do not have to the outside world. That's why the early churches are described as caring for the needy among them financially and as holding accountable fellow church members for their sins. We are not isolated in walls of privacy, but we belong to one another. We bear one another's burdens because we're a family. A church with Christ at the center is capable of such life-changing, transformative love and relationship. I know this because God has been gracious enough to allow me to both give and receive that love at relationship at different times in my life. Just a couple of weeks ago, I didn't know how I was going to be able to see my family back in Georgia when they needed me. And I didn't know how my family here was going to fare if I left for what was then going to be considered an undetermined amount of time. But we've seen days when we didn't know where our next step of provision was coming from but God, by his grace and the love and sacrifice of our brothers and sisters within his church, have met our needs each and every time.
Needs get met. Lives get changed. And relationships get restored because of the transformative power that Christ brings to his church by being at the center of all things. That transformative power, by the way, is on display here in this very passage, if you dig a little deeper. If I can give you a little director's commentary here for a second. Um, I really didn't mean to make that many movie references. I'm sorry, you guys. It's just um, a little further backstory into the passage today reveals that Barnabas's cousin Mark, who's listed in verse 10, uh, he's referred to as John Mark in a few other books in the New Testament. He pops up more than once. Um, but he had history with Paul. Earlier on in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas were serving together on a missionary journeys, and for a period, Mark was with them. Um, but out of nowhere, Mark just leaves at one point, goes back to Jerusalem, and we don't really get a full explanation as to why. Um, but future events seem to indicate that that did not sit well with Paul at all. Um, so much so that later on, Paul and Barnabas are discussing their future plans. They're discussing about going back and revisiting cities where they had preached before. And Barnabas is like, hey, you know, let's bring Mark. And Paul is like, no. <laughs> um, Paul is so against the idea of including Mark because of his previous departure that Paul and Barnabas end up going their separate ways. Uh, Barnabas ends up resuming his journeys with Mark and Paul tags up with Silas instead. Um, but here we are at the time of the writing of this book, maybe 12, 13 years after that happened. Um, after the mere mention of Mark's name causes Paul to disassociate from a ministry partner, Paul is sending a letter to the Colossians and he says, if he, Mark, comes to you, welcome him. Not only that, but um, in the book of 2 Timothy, that's the last letter we have from Paul. It's right before he dies. And... Um, he is giving his parting words there too. And nearing the end of his life, in his closing there, he asks for Mark by name. And he says, I quote, bring him with you, for he is useful to me in service. A church with Christ at the center can restore what is broken, even if it takes some time. The church is made up of all kinds, and with Christ at its center, it is capable of all manner of things. And it has a place for you. Earlier, uh, and all throughout this sermon, I've made some movie references and stuff, and uh, I just want to give you one more, if that's okay. Um, it's one of my biggest hobbies. So if you'll indulge me for a moment, I want to share a memory of one with you. In uh, 1993, man, that was a long time ago now. Okay, um, sorry, just having an existential moment in front of everybody, it's okay. Uh, my dad, he took me, he was my favorite movie-going buddy uh, while, while, he was, he, while he was on earth. And uh, he took me this, to see this movie called The Sandlot. And um, all right, let's go. All right, movie club after church. Okay. Um, it's about a kid who moves to the valley uh, with his family in the early 60s. So this kid, Scott, he doesn't have any friends. He has a pretty awkward relationship with his stepfather. And he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. And he's hoping to discover and shape his identity. Then one day, he watches some neighborhood kids from afar uh, playing baseball together, loving life in their little community of friends. And he gets discovered by one of them uh, named Benny. And even though Scott doesn't really understand much about baseball, doesn't know any of the famous players, he doesn't know the trendy inside baseball language, he's welcomed in and there's a place made for him. And by being welcomed in, he starts to believe and what's going on around him. 
and he's transformed by being welcomed into that community. Now, listen, there's a whole lot more that happens in that movie. Um, but the point that I'm trying to get to is this. Uh, maybe today is the first time you're here at Story City. Maybe you're like I was this time last year and you were in a new unfamiliar place looking for community. Maybe you've never belonged to a community of believers at all and you're just trying to figure out what's going on around you. I wanna let you know that even though the bulk of this passage today is written for people who were already a part of God's family in this church, there's a place here for you too. You're welcome to belong here and we'll gladly walk with you even if you don't know any of the big names, even if you don't know any of the churchy language in hopes that just like Scott in the Sandlot, that here at Story City, you have a place to belong so you can have a place to believe. In closing today, if you sit and ponder those final instructions that Paul gave here in Colossians, it is a lot. Um, It's a lot to bear if you're trying to do so under your own power. Trying to stay devoted in prayer on your own particularly a life of prayer that's always thankful? Yeah. Uh, Or what about always having wisdom and grace when dealing with others who don't believe what you believe? Or just looking for a place to belong when you don't fit in on paper? Because all you have to look to is yourself. I don't know about you, but those expectations seem insurmountable to me under my own strength. But church, that is not what has been asked of us. We've been asked to keep Christ central to who we are and allow that to transform our lives and then the insurmountable becomes possible. Because of who Christ is and what he's done, you are capable of a devotion to prayer that will help you love God more. You are capable of living in grace that will draw you to love your neighborhood and community more. And you have a place to belong where you and your family of faith can love one another more. Only because Christ is at the center of it all. As I leave you, let us remember. Remember to pray. Remember to show grace. Remember you belong. Remember Jesus is greater than everything. It's time for me to go. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us a family. You never leave us or forsake us. You give us all that we need. And you know what we need before we even know. And Lord, as I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, I just pray that they would know that they're not alone that they can be devoted to you, that they can be gracious to others because you're the one holding all this together. Help us to fall on you, Lord. Fall on your grace. Allow you to prop us up so you can be you through us and people will see you and not us and know that you're greater than everything. In Christ's name.